listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Is this where I do my intro? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. My name is Jackie Clayton. And this is Katie Van Horn. See, we just try to mix it up. So in which case, of course, I did not do the, I'm like, what? Intro? I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> but it works. It works. You did a very fine job. Thank We're gonna you. Give you a, a 10 out of 10, Jackie. 10 out of 10. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> five out of five stars would highly recommend. Well, I'm glad everyone is here. We have a very special guest and we're really excited to talk to them. And I know that we're going to have a great time today. I would like to introduce you to Dr. Kimberly Young. Is it McClare? McClear? McClear. McClear. And I'll allow you to introduce yourself a little bit. Tell the people about you. Awesome. Well, I just thank you both for, for having me on your podcast. I really just love the energy uh, that you all bring and just the awareness of, of inclusion. Uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, I'm active duty uh, officer in the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, Coast Guard is uh, one of the smallest branches of the uh, U.S. military the armed forces. Um, and I wear many hats. Uh, so some of the hats that I wear, I'm also a tenured uh, professor at the Coast Guard Academy. And I'm also on loan uh, doing cybersecurity for my day job um, at a federal agency uh, where we focus on, uh, my portfolio at least, focuses on uh, cybersecurity training and education. I'm also super passionate about just doing the work, community organizing. Um, and uh, just uh, throughout my experiences, you know, we have to have the courage to speak up, do the right thing. Um, you know, our time is now. And, you know, I think about our ancestors uh, and, you know, want to make sure that we're doing right by them and all the people who came before us. So um, I kind of have my hands a little bit, you know, here and there and everywhere. Um, but I'm really just passionate about humanity and passionate about bringing folks together uh, so we can co-create a, a future forever to thrive in. I love you saying that. Me and Katie used to say we were so busy until today, actually. After I, looking yeah. at your Yeah, 10 minutes ago, I felt like I had a lot going on. Yeah. But now I feel like I am, have been sitting here quietly. So Kind of like a loser. Kind of like of I need to get more busy. You, The stuff you're talking about, people can't, who aren't watching on YouTube, we are like shaking our head because we're like, whoa, you could have stopped with active duty Coast Guard. That would have been enough. For us, yeah, during hurricane season, yes. yeah, <laughs> about that. What is that? What I mean, I would love to know what made you because obviously you have a lot of just lots of interests and lots of passions. How did you get started? What made you decide to join the Coast Guard? Let's just start with that. Yeah, no, um, I actually was talking to someone just earlier today on that exact question, and uh, there's some days, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm first generation uh, U.S. Both my parents uh, immigrated from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, they came to the, the U.S. when they were teenagers. And uh, they both actually enlisted in the Air Force. So I'm the youngest of four. And growing up and just kind of watching them kind of do the military, I thought, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to go to art college and just I had different types of interests. And I was in high school and uh, I think my mom, I think the conversation went like this. She said, uh, are, are you thinking about or interested in going to college? And I said, yeah, I think so. And she said, well, how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so I had 
So that was the talk. And so I, I knew at that moment, my, my parents weren't going to be uh, funding my, my, uh, my education. So uh, for me, I just looked at, you know, different scholarships, different options. And as a kid, I didn't really love the concept of moving around. And, and I saw, you know, even as a child and my parents had, you know, West Indian accents and I would see forms of, of exclusion. Right. And I would see, uh, you know, various forms of code switching and things like that. So, but I thought, well, let me give it a shot. Right. Um, I, I enjoy public service. I enjoy serving others. So I thought, what's the worst that could happen <laughs> as I laugh. Um, so, so, so I really just started off as uh, you know, I tried out for a few years, you know, it allowed me to uh, pay for my education at FAMU. And, uh, and then I thought, you know, Hey, you know, it's a stepping stone and kind of figure it out from there. So, but it wasn't a childhood dream. I would say my dream was really just serving others and just being a good person. And it was just me just trying to explore and figure that out. I didn't know anyone who was in the Coast Guard and I ended up getting a scholarship and, and just, you know, 19 and a half years later, I'm still in. <laughs> wow. 19 and a half years. That's amazing. So where uh, what has been the like biggest i don't even know like uh, like storm or like rescue or what has been your like most amazing experience in the coast guard mm, i can answer that rhetorically <laughs> oh yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we say, it's just the three of us no one else is asking for a friend confidential it's totally fine you can totally yeah. we have like yeah it's just have, like, the three of us clearance yeah. that's right totally cool. <laughs> well that's i right. certainly i have i've been deployed i have supported uh, a large-scale uh hurricane operations actually uh via social media uh that was a product that we did um uh, with Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. Um, and I actually, when I was at the Coast Guard Academy, I had uh, several students, we had up to about 100 students at one time, but we were working with a nonprofit and uh, passively monitoring social media and then pushing that back to big Coast Guard operations so they can decide you know, how to divert assets to, to do rescue. Uh, before that, uh, I was also deployed for a Deepwater Horizon. So it was a massive oil spill out, out in, uh, in the Gulf. And so I had a chance to really um, you know, get, get my hands uh, dirty on that. And, and support uh but you know first reaction I, I thought of when you said the biggest storm was you know to be honest is really more about people and culture um and you know i'm a, a federal whistleblower i testified on capitol hill so it, it's been you know the last eight years have really been me feeling like i'm at kind of the center of a big hurricane center of a big storm and uh so i re really would say doing a lot of the people and culture work um not necessarily as a purely a practitioner, um, but someone who has been harmed through harassment and discrimination retaliation, um, I would say that's probably the biggest storm that I've experienced because uh, it's been an eight-year storm um, and it really pales in comparison to the operational work that I've done throughout my career. So, so, that, so that was my first instinct is, you know, it, it's really the navigating people and culture and the amount of strength and courage it takes to be able to do that type of work. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was just looking at a hearing that happened recently and it was a black woman from Louisiana talking to the gentleman from Louisiana and and I was so triggered as he, this white man was talking to this black woman from Louisiana as she's trying to tell a story. He was interrupting her and then I think he like called her boo or like and I 
was ready to strangle. Like it's already a big deal. You're already nervous. You already know you're at a disadvantage power wise from sitting. It takes everything. And when you testify, you know, like as a whistleblower, so you know, this wasn't like, oh, we should plant more trees. This is like a, a major, like how, can you tell us about that? Tell us what you could tell us about that because I mean, yeah. on top of like, that's why it's like, wait, like you're in the Coast Guard. Like, that's why that's enough. But then there's all these other pieces. Yeah, no, it's, um, and planting trees are important. <laughs> Very important. And no offense to any trees. Love the trees. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, um, uh, I would say to an outsider looking in, uh, I'm a highly decorated military officer and I, uh, I just love thinking, I love doing, I love just building teams where people can just thrive as their authentic selves and innovate. And I actually think it's those exact same traits and qualities is what made me a target of workplace bullying. Um, you know, young black queer woman with a PhD who just came from working, supporting a cabinet, uh, deputy secretary and cabinet secretary of Homeland Security. You know, that's a very rare type of an opportunity. Um, and so when I went to the uh, Coast Guard Academy to, to teach, you know, in the military, we wear our resume on our uniform. You know, you, you have your medals and your ribbons. And so you, you're pretty much a walking resume. And uh, so I actually think that was a, a huge reason of why I was targeted in addition to being black and in queer and a woman, but also just being, uh, you know, an intelligent person on top of that, um, who has served in these high profile positions. So, uh, unfortunately I endured a lot of harassment, a lot of bullying. Um, and that's not uncommon in an academic, you know, a non-military mm -hmm. academic setting. So if you really kind of overlay workplace bullying that occurs in academia, overlaid with military institutionalized harm, overlaid with all of my identities. And it was really, unfortunately, I hate to use a cliche, but it was a perfect storm of harm. Um, and I couldn't have been an outsider in, you know, in any more you know, types of ways. So um, I spoke up and because I think of my caring nature, um, it's a college campus. So unfortunately, we also had sexual assault. We had things going on in the student population. So I was one of very few faculty members that students trusted. Um, with that type of sense of information. And, you know, I was raised, if, if something is, is not right, you do something about it. Um, and so that's what I did. And so that target on my back grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And so I kept speaking up and, you know, I was retaliated against in more ways than one. Um, and at my lowest point, I had suicide ideation. Um, and I pretty much was at a crossroads. I could either resign my commission, give up my pension, give up everything I've mm. done in my career, right? And start over from scratch. Or I could stay and re-strategize, regroup, change my mindset and fight. And that's exactly what I did. And so um, I started working with uh, folks on the Hill in Congress. Um, I started contacting the inspector general's office, uh, which in real time people didn't know I was doing it because I was kind of sworn to secrecy on, on their investigation as to not compromise it. And my case was actually the last um, whistleblower and civil rights case uh, of the late Chairman Elijah Cummings. Um, and the investigation to the Coast Guard was also uh, co-led uh, by him and also Chairman Betty Thompson of Mississippi. So it was just a really incredible experience. You know, these are two civil rights icons and legends in the United States. And to be able to work with them very closely, very directly, and the committees that they represent, all those offices, uh, both on the house and then the senate 
Um, so after they completed their investigation um, in, in um, uh, 2019, they asked me to testify. And for me, it was no brainer. You know, all I can think about again was my ancestors. I think about all the people who have come before us in the ranks, not in the ranks. And it was just the right thing to do. So um, it was a very um, uh, surreal out of body experience. Uh, I remember one political party was on the right. The political party was on the left and all their staffers, you know, standing room only people had flown from across the country as far as California to attend. And I remember one congressman uh, had actually told me, you know, hey, Kim, this is a Coast Guard topic, so it may not be as popular. And in terms of a, the national timeline significance, it was also the same time uh, that uh, the current uh, president of the United States at that time uh, was actually being impeached the first time. So a lot of those same congressional resources were actually dealing with the impeachment of the president of the United States. And so there actually was a probability that my hearing would never even happen because the resources were actually split. So, so it really was an improbable scenario, number one, to be able to survive harassment for that many years. It was an improbable uh, scenario to be able to not just file various complaints, but actually have them come back substantiated not by one, but by two outside independent entities. It was highly unlikely to also then um, have a congressional investigation, let alone a hearing that actually was scheduled and you actually, so it was literally just improbable, 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 improbable. Um, and so for me, I really just um, took a deep breath and spoke my truth. Um, I really did need to prepare. I had notes, but I need to reference it, right? When you, when you know what the truth is, you just speak it. And uh, unfortunately, um, my uh, service chief at the time, so he's the number one um, uh, admiral in charge of the Coast Guard, um, you know, I, I guess he had better things <laughs> to do that day. And uh, I, I don't know what he was doing, washing his hair. I, I don't know what he was doing, <laughs> but he didn't show up. I mean, he didn't show up. You know, I like my hair too, but I'm just saying. Uh, so he didn't show up. So so Congress actually empty chaired him. They had his his uh, his. They had a table. They had a name tent, and an empty chair. And they proceeded with the hearing uh, without him. And uh, so for me, you know, I I think about these these moments in time, you know, where we're called upon to to do something, which I actually think is pretty basic. Telling the truth is actually pretty basic, right? And um, and I think especially for public servants. Those of us who 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 have an oath to do so, um, what happens when our integrity is lost? Right? What impact does that have on the people who we serve? So, so that's really why I chose to stay in the Coast Guard to be able to speak truth. Um, and as Chairman uh, Maloney um, asked me at the very onset of the hearing, she asked me where did I find the strength to fight the Coast Guard? And it was the opening question. I was you know nervous. It was out of body experience. And and I. Uh, very politely, uh, you know, reframed her question in my answer. And I said, I'm not fighting the Coast Guard. I'm fighting for a better Coast Guard. You know, yeah. it shouldn't it shouldn't be me up there speaking. Right. Um, but how could I not speak if I'm seeing all of these injustices? So um, so to answer your question, it was just an out of body experience. Unfortunately, Elijah Cummings had passed away at that point. So he did not see it come to fruition. So um, I did testify in his honor. Um, and like I said, I, I just try my best to continue to do my small part. Um, you know, life is short, life is precious. And um, I, I don't honestly think what I did was that fundamentally courageous. I, I, I think to be inclusive, right? <laughs> um, what does it mean? It means we have to have courage. We have to actually have the courage to create spaces where everyone can be themselves and thrive.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. I But, like, you're literally my hero. I mean, if you look at the intersectionality and of just a day-to-day, just the day-to-day, and I'm glad that you said, you know, some things that you touched on was, like, looking backwards to your ancestors and building a better Coast Guard and not having that the support there's so many things as you know there's so many facets to your story um a lot of people just like as uh in the former administration and our former president a lot of us were just afraid to go to the store like afraid to walk outside or afraid of the backlash of putting a sign in your yard that says you know black lives matter and you're testifying already knowing because it was like open field day on black and brown people and queer people and it was like you know you can just treat people in any way that you want and i you said like oh what of course that's what i would do but i don't i and your parents were like there's just so many layers and i there's definitely something to be said by that, but then we, that's why it's so important that your story be told and that we can lift you up to, to have that. But I also think that there, it's important because there are days when we do get tired, like, especially doing this work, there are days where I'm like, I don't even know why I work with people at all. Like if I had a choice, I'm going to work at a salt mine and I'm going to have a headset and I'm just going to I'm going to knock the salt down and I'm going to go home. Like, I just can't take it in working with people. Where do you think? Becky, you would last about a day in the salt mine. Well, to be like, clear, I said that no yesterday. There's no other people too. here to talk to. There's no one else to talk That's to. That's right. I, I told somebody, I was like, if I say, I always, so it's not very funny, but I always say, I'm going to set you on fire. And my husband said, you probably shouldn't say that. And I said, people who really know me know. I'm not going to chase anybody. They're going to run. It's not, it's not going to happen. Like I just say the things. So no, I probably wouldn't work out at a salt mine. However, like where there had to be strength and there is strength in that moment. Like where did you get your support? Like it wasn't your, you know, the people that you worked for directly. And we know that the things that you were facing, where did you find that, strength yeah it's at a very deep level you know i i grew up around uh military bases i i would i'm the youngest before so i think i just observed a lot and i i remember seeing black veterans who served in vietnam and you can just literally see the differences and the inequities of, of how people are mistreated and just the how culturally sometimes we just discard people for no reason and so as a child i was always studying i was always observing i was always asking and empathetic to those types of situations and uh so for me i I just didn't really put a whole lot of thought into what could the consequences be it didn't matter Mm. because i always say i'm lucky 
And that's how I still feel. I, I work with a lot of families of, of uh, uh, survivors and, and non-survivors, uh, families that uh, lost loved ones to suicide due to uh, psychological violence endured in the workplace. So I always say I'm lucky. You know, I, I had ideation in 2016. And, uh, you know, if, if the variables were, you know, a little bit differently, I, I wouldn't be here. So I, I always say, you know, with every breath I have in my lungs, I'm going to use it to, to advocate, to speak, you know, so I don't, I don't worry about the consequences. I don't worry about the risk. Um, you know, I have, you know, strong family support. I have, you know, friends and allies that, you know, the support from the local communities have always been strong. You know, journalists have always been, you know, part of my support system as well and helping to shine a light on these injustices and, um, you know, also folks on the Hill and congressional staffers. And so I've really have found village. I found community in, in people who share this common belief that we're all deserving of dignity, right? We're all deserving of dignity and it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to fight for dignity, right? But, but yet we do. So, so, you know, I didn't do it by myself, you know, but um, I think I, I carry uh, just really a feeling of, you know, I don't worry. And I, and I think that's really um, probably the biggest blessing about all of this is I stopped worrying a long time ago. I really did. Uh, I stopped worrying a long time ago. And I think my ancestors want me to not only fight, but also find joy, you know, pursue justice, but also pursue joy. And so even, you know, as as I have uh, been been fighting or advocating over these last uh, eight years specifically, I've always spoken my whole career, um, but I, I have my own flair to it. <laughs> you know, I, I have my own flair to it, you know, and, um, you know, so more, more, more to come, you know, on, on that, you know, activism is an art form for me. And uh, so I'm sure, you know, my employer is always looking for ways to, <laughs> you know, we got her now, uh, as I laugh. Uh, but, but when you're That's on the right. right, right, when you're on the right set of history, um, you know, I'm a whistleblower. I'm not the one who is harming other people. I'm trying to, to, right. to draw attention to people who are unethical and who are abusing their power. And, and through that abuse of power, they're causing harm. So, so I, I, I find my strength from within at a very deeply personal level. And that strength says, don't worry. You know, you have to trust that you're being held by this village. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for the work that you continue to do. Thank you for standing up for what is right and for sharing your story. I want to ask, like, in that space and in, you know, the 19 years you've been in the Coast Guard, what are the positive changes that you've seen? And obviously we know there's still work to be done. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the things that you see, and you know, maybe not specifically the Coast Guard, but just overall that still need to be fixed and still need work? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I, what also kind of keeps my engines going as well is seeing such a wide diversity of people who are passionate about inclusion after that light bulb goes off. So mm -hmm. being an educator, being a black educator, a lot of people will assume, oh, well, you're going to have black students that will kind of gravitate to towards you. But I really think what surprised a lot of people, it didn't surprise me, but the diversity of faculty and students who once they saw what was going on, they made a conscious decision to say, 
that's, they don't want to be a part of that. That's not alignment with their values. It's incongruent with their value system. And um, one of our uh, valedictorians actually made a very impassioned speech. Uh, he happens to be a white male engineer. And the Source Academy graduations are actually nationally televised. Sometimes the President of the United States is, you know, as a speaker. So um, he chose to actually talk about, and he spoke to his peers. And he basically said, um, it's up to us, right, as, as new graduates to figure out how we're actually going to end sexual assault in the military, how we're going to mm. end harassment discrimination. And so me knowing that his journey from age, you know, 18 plus four years, and now here he is on the national stage, he could have spoken about anything, but he chose to talk about inclusion, safety, authenticity, integrity. So I... I think about those examples and then I carry those with me um, because that also gives me hope. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is not, you know, a one demographic situation. This is something that impacts everybody. And I think when, when the truth strikes a chord, it resonates across all of these different types of groups and populations. So that's, that's really what I have seen is a lot of people demonstrating more courage, asking different types of questions, being bolder, and also smiling through it, right? Because they're fundamentally rejecting this notion that we have to accept exclusion and psychological violence as status quo. I, I want to touch on that because you made the distinction. We talk a lot. Of, we hear the phrase psychological safety, but you're using the phrase like psychological violence. And I would like to know more about what, how do you define psychological violence or what are some examples of that? Yeah, thanks for that. So I, I created a framework, uh, it's called a Healthy to Innovative Framework, um, that's actually kind of caught on at a few federal agencies. Um, and so the foundation of it is psychological safety, and it moves up uh, through moral courage, inclusion, diversity, equity, mission readiness, and then innovation. And, and as people kind of do that work, starting with that foundation of psychological safety, I always coach folks and I say, well, in order for us to have psychological safety, in terms of the authenticity, you know, to show up as your full self, we have to address any behaviors uh, systematically and also individual that erode one's psychological safety. So that would be any forms of psychological violence. So harassment, intimidation, mm -hmm. workplace bullying, sexual assault, anything that is eroding away from our ability to show up as our full, healthy, thriving self. Um, and, and as a survivor of various forms of workplace violence, um, I know what it can do to you firsthand. And so I always advise people, if you want to get a psychological safety, you really have to address psychological violence first, because it's the violence is actually perpetuating the exclusion. It's perpetuating the issues around mental health and the whole range of why a lot of co uh, corporate and non-corporate cultures are really dysfunctional because we're not actually addressing the violence. And it's also disproportionately uh, related. For example, I, you know, I go back to our, our civil rights icons uh, and, and, and our ancestors, right? Those of us who have experienced the most harm tend to be the ones that are out there on the streets, physical streets, digital streets, wherever those streets are, we're advocating for change, right? And as we're advocating for change, we're actually subjecting ourselves to even more violence. We don't have that psychological safety, but we speak up anyway, right? And then I see in kind of more of these corporate spaces where people are talking about psychological safety from more of a business, you know, innovation, operational perspective, that's all fine and well, but what about the folks who have more to lose, who have been in the streets advocating for human rights and by 
speaking up, you're literally physically threatened, psychologically threatened, right? It's impacting your livelihood, impacting your income, impacting who's in your village, right? But those people speak up anyway. So I think we really have to reconcile those differences and until as a society, as a broader culture, and if we are not willing to address the violence that occurs when one speaks up, then we cannot say we're a proponent of psychological safety. We're not even addressing the mm-hmm. violence. We're not even I, addressing the violence. I, I got so fired up. I'm so glad that you said that. I got so fired up last week. I was pissed off in a women's leadership, women's executive leadership moment. And this woman, did you hear, you know where I'm going. So I heard this woman and she was like, they went on a business trip and they only invited men. Right. And she was like, and I talked to the president of the company. I talked to my boss and I just want to make sure that I was doing the really real, the the right thing. And I felt really nervous as I was talking to them. And I just felt like I was going to throw up. And I was like, and someone goes, oh, because you were so nervous. I was like, no, I was like, you know what, why she should be throwing up because she's been tokenized representing, showing that they have women in leadership, which they don't, don't have the respect. Other people are coming to the company because they want to work here where they have a fair and balanced executive team, but it's not true. I hope you felt like you were going to throw up because you're a liar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tokenism <laughs> conceals that psychological right? exclusion. Absolutely. Because you can't allow it to happen. And that's why you are such an icon. And so to so many people have to look to you like literally you know, I, I look at like the whistleblower website and I can like see your picture and I get like, I'm like, holy crap. Like, I'm like, okay, what would I do in that moment? It looks so scary, but you're sitting here you're sharing the message. You lived through it. You lived, you were able to tell the story and uplift others. And I don't know, I think it's amazing. And I think it's so important because like you said, this is psychological violence and we do have the opportunity to step up and you and I always question people. I can understand being afraid, but it's always like, what would happen if I didn't scares me more? Yes, yes, I, absolutely. That's why I say speaking up was literally the least I could do. That's the least. And I sincerely mean that it's literally the least I can do. I'm also a systems engineer. So I'm always studying, you know, these are systemic issues, you know, that, that are happening. And so, you know, for me, I'm really driven to, um, you know, that service of people. And if there are systems that are causing harm to people, then I'm interested in unpacking, like, where is this harm coming from? Is this an education issue? Is this a behavioral issue? Where is this coming from? Right. And so I am, I'm still on that journey. Um, but, but that's, that's what continues to, to drive me is how can we co-create systems that do the opposite, right? We have to do some repair work, some healing work. Um, we need to do some systemic action work, right? Um, and that's why I still continue to, to converse with folks on the Hill. Um, and, and that work has been great. Um, and then we also have to get to joy, right? Because we also deserve to actually enjoy our lives. Otherwise, our lives are rooted in trauma. They're, they're rooted in suppression and oppression, right? Um, so no, it, it's um, violence. It's everywhere, right? It's going to the grocery store, right? Yeah. <laughs> going to the grocery store. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would like to be my authentic self in all spaces, but that's not reality, right? That's not reality. 
So, so that's also what I'm advocating for is, is how do we reimagine and redesign these systems such that every space that you or me or the next person is in, it's not a roll of the dice, right? Is, is today the day I'm going to be shot? Is today the day I'm going to whatever, right? Um, and, and I just don't think that uh, folks are really appreciating that yet unless they've actually experienced it. Um, and so, again, I just am really grateful for being able to have this conversation uh, because it, it's, it's, I don't think that people really frame the psychological violence in that way, in that sense. They just say, oh, you were retaliated against. Oh, well, <laughs> it's like, no, that's like the body and mind is not meant to endure that type of psychological trauma for that extended period of time, right? We're not, we're not really designed to just keep enduring. Some people call it microaggression, the whole spectrum, right? Um, we're not designed to just keep getting those cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts. So, um, so, so that's, again, kind of my outlook on it is um, what we walk by is what we tolerate, you know? Mm. Yep. I, you know, one of the things that it, I, I'm glad you're hitting on this is the idea around the ongoing and like going to the grocery store any any of these very small random things and you know i i have said probably even on this podcast like i can take off my dei consultant my work that i do during the day when i want to and i'm able to move about society but you know obviously as a woman there are other things that i can't do you know and i think and which is not even comparable but you know the only way that i can think about it and i think it's interesting because it is that like constant heightened awareness heightened trauma that people don't realize is happening every single day every every interaction of what is what do they really mean by what they're saying or what are they trying you know what are they trying to get at and and it's not a oh i'm being sensitive it's truly a what else do I need to protect myself from and make sure I'm safe and make sure I'm okay? And I think that's one of the things that people don't realize or don't think about because it doesn't impact them or it doesn't affect them. And, and that's one of the things that always, when I'm moving about my life, I think about, you know, folks that I'm around and with, and, you know, yeah, the option that, hey, at any moment, someone could slap handcuffs on me or worse. And, and for what? Um, so I, I, I want to though, go to a different place because you, you've mentioned this a few times now and it's the, the joy. So, you know, we talk about this stuff. We know it's heavy. We know it is exhausting. And I, I want to talk more about the joy and like how you find that joy when it does become heavy, when it does become too much. So what, can you speak to that a little bit, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm already laughing thinking about it. So <laughs> as, I've, as I've done my, my activism work while on active duty, sometimes people think that's impossible, but I've found a way to do it. Um, I do chuckle. I do laugh. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it's so ridiculous and absurd. It's like a circus. So at some point you, you kind of do have to laugh at the absurdity. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, I, I have hobbies, I have interests. And, you know, I always say that, if the trauma um, that I've endured is, is so much, 
that it is preventing me from doing activities that I enjoy, then it's kind of like they win. So, um, so for me personally, I love art, I love music, I love traveling, I love cars. And uh, actually, I very intentionally, I, I took 45 days uh, off of uh, work. So I'm on loan. Um, so I'm in the Coast Guard, but I'm on loan to a different uh, federal agency where I do cybersecurity. And, uh, and so I took 45 days off of work. Everyone thought I lost my mind. Um, I've been planning it for like 18 and a half years and uh, sold, sold my house and uh, got rid of about 90% of all of my personal belongings I've ever accumulated in my lifetime. And I uh, spent three weeks in Honolulu, Hawaii, and it was amazing. And I got to drive a lot of fun cars, go to museums, just be with nature, be with my thoughts, journal, reflect, sing karaoke, laugh, smile. <laughs> so, so for me, it, it's, it's a process of getting back to myself, right? Like, like who am I at my core? if I remove the trauma, right? So I literally had a very intimate conversation with like my five-year-old self, you know, and I asked <laughs> myself like, you know, like what were my dreams, you know, am I still following those dreams or did the trauma really derail my life, right? And so for me, it's really navigating back to self, it's navigating back to joy, right? Just, just the natural innocence that we all have as we kind of connect and navigate, you know, on, on this planet. So, so for me, it's just, that's a daily journey, you know? And so as I am entrenched and doing the work, right, I'm also very consciously aware of how much I'm smiling, how much I'm laughing and knowing when I need to take a step back <laughs> or take a big step back and go to Hawaii. <laughs> right. Um, but, but I want to be around for a while, right? I want to be around for a while. So, so I, I'm, I'm always searching for just who I am in my core and, and, you know, like I say, I, I like to laugh. So if doing the work, if designed effectively, in my humble opinion, it should actually put a smile on our face. Um, it really should. It should actually energize us and it should actually bring us joy, even as we know there's more work to be done. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. By the way, did someone say... Karaoke. <laughs> I, love karaoke. <laughs> I love karaoke. I love karaoke and I'm not good at it. And I have no shame. I guess I'm it's my song. It's not in my key. I sing it every time. Um to yeah, be doing yeah. she's very good at karaoke and I have the video to prove it. Um and Y'all have to quit recording. Seriously. <laughs> Her song is Redneck Woman, which like okay. everyone in the crowd kind of gives her like the wait what and it's the best thing ever and she sings it perfectly so she knows yeah she's good so she can join you at karaoke i will be the one videotaping it'll be fun yes and getting the crowd that yeah, she getting, is yeah, I'm the, a the great crowd, wing person crowd hyper <laughs> yes uh, there, there was a piece <laughs> i love that you do that but then i mean and I, we're not even gonna have super time like we literally, literally, Kim could be like, 
a seven episode, right? Yeah. Women in tech, cybersecurity, keeping yourself protected, you know, queer in the military. There's so many things that just keep trying to get those pieces. But I do know it is one of those things where you have to think when you think more about your ancestors, about what you're doing. My, um, I thought it was funny being you're from Trinidad, Tobago. My grandmother is from the Virgin Islands and my father was born in the Virgin Islands. And it's very funny because people would say, oh, your mom, your grandma sounds like she's from Jamaica. And I was like, don't ever say that. It's a West Indian accent and you're just gonna have to trust me on that. Like, just don't, just don't. But then understanding <laughs> that coming to the United States when you are othered anyway, right? And then having that, having um, parents coming culturally, what the, does that mean? And growing up in that environment, we get to see that bravery firsthand and it's kind of like when we came on with you we're like gosh i guess we're not tired and we're not and we're not done and there's a lot of work to do and we'll be fine and you look at those other things and say we have to you looked at it's amazing that you looked at that scenario and you're like okay yeah we're gonna have to do work in order to elicit those changes and just be your authentic self which i'm okay i should ask do you feel like you're your authentic self? Like, are you able to bring the you that you want to in your spaces? Because, you know, some of that stuff, they, I, I do not want to bring to work, right? Yes. Yes, I, I actually, um, uh, from 2016, I've always been myself, but in, after 2016, I really made more of an intentional effort uh, to really embark on this personal journey to be my authentic self, regardless of the consequence. Authenticity in terms of truth telling, how I wore my hair, I mean, just everything, right? Um, and it was really, again, out of a place of, of uh, privilege that I have air in my lungs, right? And so um, I laugh uh, sometimes in mid thought, mid sentence, you say, What's so funny? I, I just feel very fortunate that I frankly don't care <laughs> what the right? consequences are. Uh, and I'm going to choose to be myself. And if people aren't ready for that, well, that's their loss. So, um, and uh, just to give just a very quick uh, kind of example of some of the nuanced services I brought up um, here. So in the military, uh, very similar to corporate America, we had these very archaic rules around natural hair. So um, Glamour actually had contacted me because I had done some work back in 2014. Um, and uh, the Coast Guard, we'll give the Coast Guard credit, uh, was the first military branch to reverse uh, our ridiculously racist uh, hair policies impacting Black women. So um, folks working on the Crown Act, so I was able to kind of you know, share the work I was doing with them. It was very uh, synergistic. And so Glamour kind of did a, did a cover story about that. But um, that's part of doing the work, right? Like, I want for people to be able to wear your hair as you feel fit, right? However you want to do it. There shouldn't be racist rules and policies that, that have an impact on if you're going to be promoted or what your evaluation is going to be because of how your hair is styled. So, um, so for me, it's really, yes, the, the answer is yes. And I, and I laugh because it's not easy, but I do it anyway, because I say, well, I don't have, I don't have any more energy to be anybody else. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 
I'm enough, you know, and I'm probably a lot. So I, I just, I just enjoy this uh, journey that I've been on where I just, I just don't really care if people don't accept me. I really don't. Um, I, I just don't <laughs> I laugh about it, I, you know? Uh, so I, I, I am very uh, proud of myself uh, for really showing up authentically um, in as many spaces as I can, right? There's few exceptions if I feel my life's in danger, uh, you know, from driving my, my, my 72 Oldsmobile Cutlass that I restored and I go to a gas station at night and some guy says, hey, did your boyfriend, you know, <laughs> let you drive, you know, his car? I am not authentic in those moments. I, uh, yes, he did. Gotcha. And he, um, he's at the gym right now. Right? <laughs> so there are exceptions to my authenticity rule, but. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. We all, we all have, we all have those. We and all have those. I love what you're saying of the, the, it's not, it's the, I don't care, but it's also because you are being your authentic self, other folks can too. And I think that's the bigger piece to it is that because of the work you've done and continue to do and just the conversations and the highlighting of just so many of these issues, you know, as Jackie say, there's so many slices to, you know, your identity that we could dig in on and yet pulling it all together and creating who you are like you are touching so many different groups and so many different lives. So again, thank you. Um, the way that we usually end our episodes and we will be having a part two through seven, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, Nellie, what did I sign up for? Sorry, but you're welcome and I'm you're sorry. Now. You're ours you're <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> so uh, we usually end each episode with just one thing that we want to make sure that the listener heard. And so, uh, would love for you to share, you know, what those, we say one, if it's more than one, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'd like your listeners to know, um, that justice is very difficult. And in my particular case, it's been eight years and counting. I've never seen any justice. Um, I exposed the highest levels of the Coast Guard um, and their abuse of, of uh, power, all the harm that they caused. I prove laws were violated, policies were violated. I prove that over and over and over. But despite that, there's never been any justice uh, in my case. And so I, I want your listeners to understand that we also have a choice, right? Despite the foolishness and harm and absurdity of all of these types of discriminatory systems, we still have a choice and we can still choose to fight for who we are at our core. We can choose to uh, fight for spaces where we can thrive. And if that means leaving your organization, then leave your organization, right? So I want your listeners to just take away that we still have choices. Right. I am not responsible for the foolishness and the bigotry and the U.S. Coast Guard. I'm not responsible for any of that. And I, I made my own choices and I chose to speak up. <laughs> I chose to laugh uh, and I chose to keep figuring out who am I? 
right? Who am I uh, both before the trauma, through the trauma and post-trauma? Um, so that's really what I want your listeners to really kind of um, to, to, to take in is uh, we have choices and they're beautiful choices, even if it doesn't feel um, like that is the case in the moment. Awesome. Thank you. Jackie? There's a lot. I just want people to know Dr. Kim's story. Like, I want people to look into all of the things, I think, for me. Like, sometimes it's like, what's the one thing? I want them to get to know you, Kim, and understand some of those things, because I feel like there, people can see themselves in your story, whether it be on Glamour or whether it be YouTube videos or, you know, you talking or people talking about you or the, like people, there's so many spaces and also reminding people that you just have to do it you just have to do it like it, at the end of the day that it seems to keep coming around to i it, it was you know there was injustice there and we had to make it right and and i think sometimes people are just sit and wait for things to get better and it's not and you're in there and you do have you know a choice and get on the right side of that choice Absolutely. was that like 14 things i think it was like three yeah it's good it's good all good okay. all good okay um you know for me i think it's something that you talked about kind of through your journey of you know there were times that it was dark that it was not you were not in a great place but you found that power within yourself and and i think that's something that a lot of people struggle with you know we talk about power a lot I, we know there's a lot of power dynamics at work in the world etc and finding that power within yourself i think is such a huge lesson for folks and we know there's always going to be the detractors and i'm like this one i'm like gosh i want like all of my nieces to and nephews to listen to this one because it's also that like it's not about the amount of likes you get on your TikTok. it's find that power within yourself to take action to do something to create change that will be positive and i am going to give a second one although this is probably like the sixth um and it's also like take the action knowing that it might not bring you justice but for the next person mm -hmm. behind you and the next person like each one of these steps and but it's also hurry freaking up and let's get this done because i think that's the other piece is i I think all of us we want to we want to lose our job at some point in this work and we want to not have That's to right. think about it um all right dr kim uh we will have you back soon because we have to continue this discussion but uh thank you all for listening this is the inclusive af podcast i'm katie van horn and i'm jackie clayton uh, bye, bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.